You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Numbers chapter 20, verse 1, Death of Miriam. Nothing else is said about the intervening years in the wilderness. Life continued in its routines of collecting manna and offering sacrifices and celebrating festivals. The Israelites moved about from place to place as the pillar of cloud lifted and directed them to the next place. Most of the Exodus generation would have died. They were now in the 40th year in the wilderness. We know this because of Numbers 33:38, which mentions that Aaron died on the first day of the fifth month of the 40th year after they came out of Egypt, and his death is documented in this chapter. It begins in the first month of that year at Kadesh in the desert of Zin, where Miriam died and was buried. Miriam was part of that older generation that had to die before they could enter the promised land. Kadesh was where they had first received the report of the 12 spies, which began this 38-year detour, which was now ending. They were going in circles. If you notice, each time it is mentioned that someone dies, it also records that they are buried. We may skip over that because it is a familiar practice. The idea of burial is a concept that believers have embraced since the beginning of time. The basis of it is found in God's words to Adam, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. It is rooted also in the hope of the resurrection of these same bodies. Even ancient Job understood this concept. He said, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Jesus spoke of that day. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. The resurrection of Jesus is foretold in the Psalms and quoted in Acts as the reason we hope for the redemption of our bodies. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your holy ones see decay. Paul speaks of our desire to have our souls reunited to our bodies after death. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? So does that mean you can't be resurrected if you're cremated rather than buried? Or if your body is in a million pieces from an explosion or eaten by sharks and scattered throughout the ocean? No, because it's not the manner of our deaths or what becomes of our bodies afterwards that determines our resurrection, but the voice of God who calls us out of that state and reassembles us to stand in the judgment. For the example of being eaten by sharks, we're told in Revelation 20.13, which says, The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, 
and each person was judged according to what they have done. But burial is preferred over cremation out of respect for the body. Verses 2 to 13, water from the rock, again, and Moses' error. According to the World Health Organization, lack of clean drinking water is a global issue, with one in three people without access to it. And once again, we have the Israelites who find themselves in a place without water. It was their greatest need, and God had always provided for them. Did they think he wouldn't do so again? As usual, the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They complained, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. The situation was so desperate that they wished they had already been killed earlier when God killed Korah and the other rebels, which we studied in chapter 16. This was a new generation, but they were just like their parents. They complained that Moses and Aaron brought them here, not God. The word they used gives the impression that they were compelled to leave Egypt against their will. And this wilderness was a terrible place. It didn't have the things they had been promised, like grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and it didn't even have water. As before, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. This was likely the cloud called the Shekinah glory. They took the problem to God as the people should have done. Instead of being angry at the grumbling Israelites, God provided for them. He told Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community, so they and their livestock can drink. God had brought water out of a rock before, at the same place. Then God told him to strike the rock. This time he was to speak to it, even though he was to take his rod with him. This was Aaron's rod, which had been kept in the Ark of the Covenant since it budded. So he and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. Instead of speaking to the rock as commanded, Moses spoke to the people. He called them rebels and acted as if he and Aaron were the ones providing for them. Then he angrily struck the rock, not once, but twice. Imagine what a testament to God's power it would have been had Moses only spoken to the rock and water was provided. In spite of this, God still provided water for them, and he provided it abundantly. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me, in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. God will remind Moses that by doing this, he also was rebelling against God. Numbers 27.14 says, For when the community rebelled at the waters of the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. 
These were the waters of Meribah, Kadesh, in the desert of Zin. So there are two aspects to Moses' failure. Disobedience in striking the rock rather than speaking to it. But deeper than that, it was a failure to trust God to provide as he always had, anger at the people, and a feeling that he was the one who would give them the water. And that's why God says, you didn't trust me enough to honor me as holy. Both Moses and Aaron were guilty in this. They failed to take God at his word and do as he said, exactly as he said. The judgment would be that neither of them would enter the promised land. Having led the people all this way and all this time, he would fall short of the goal. This place is called Meribah, which means contention, because they contended with God. And to contend is to argue, quarrel, disagree, and pick a fight. Moses would remind the Israelites of this. The Lord was angry with me because of you, and he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. And Psalm 106 also recalls this event. By the waters of Meribah they anchored the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them, for they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. This occasion is used as an example to not be like this generation. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Verses 14 through 21, Edom denies Israel passage. Israel was again on the move. He knew it might be intimidating for the surrounding nations to see two million people passing through their territory, so Moses diplomatically sends messengers ahead of them. The first was to the king of Edom. This is what your brother Israel says. You know about all the hardships that have come on us. Our ancestors went down into Egypt, and we lived there many years. The Egyptians mistreated us and our ancestors, but when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our cry and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Moses calls Israel's, Israel Edom's brother because the Edomites are descended from Esau, who was Jacob, or Israel's twin brother. The ancient hostility between them is revived now that the blessing is about to be inherited. Israel's enslavement in Egypt was well known, and Moses is careful to give the glory to God for bringing them out of Egypt. Now we are here at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your country. We will not go through any field or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway and not turn to the right or to the left until we have passed through your territory. The King's Highway was a major north-south trade route from the Gulf of Aqaba to Damascus. It passed through the Edomite city of Selah. They promised not to impose on them in any way or use their resources. They just wanted to pass through. The response was not what they expected. The Edomites may have feared an attack by Israel, so they answered, You may not pass through here. If you try, we will march out and attack you with the sword. The Israelites replied, 
we will go along the main road, and if we or our livestock drink any of your water, we will pay for it. We only want to pass through on foot, nothing else. Again they answered, You may not pass through. It was a reasonable request, but it was denied because they were unreasonable people. The Israelites tried diplomacy a second time, but they were rebuffed a second time and then threatened. Then Edom came out against them with a large and powerful army. Since Edom refused to let them go through their territory, Israel turned away from them. So instead of engaging in a battle, they went around them. Later, when Moses reminds them of this, he says God specifically told him Israel would not have any land that belonged to Edom because he had promised the area of Mount Seir to Esau's descendants. Verses 22 to 29, Death of Aaron. Skirting the land of the Edomites, the Israelites came to Mount Hor. Then God announced to Moses and Aaron, Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land I give the Israelites, because both of you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Get Aaron and his son Eleazar and take them up Mount Hor. Remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar, for Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will die there. God specifically states that Aaron's death now, before they enter the promised land, is due to the rebellious episode we studied in this chapter. And he was also the builder of the golden calf, and he rebelled against Moses' leadership with Miriam in Numbers chapter 12. Both were culpable for the attitude, even if it was Moses who spoke and struck the rock, because God knew this. The phrase, gathered to his people, is a euphemism for death, meaning he will join his ancestors, who've gone before. Before he dies, he is to transfer the office of high priest to his son Eleazar as his successor. This is symbolized by a transfer of the high priest's garments. So Moses did as commanded. They went up in the sight of the whole community. Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eleazar and Aaron died there on top of the mountain. In Numbers 33-39, we're told Aaron died at the age of 123. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain, and when the whole community learned that Aaron had died, all the Israelites mourned for him 30 days. The usual mourning period was seven days, but this represented the importance of Aaron and the extent of the loss to Israel. They would have buried him there on the mountain. There is mercy in this, in that although Aaron would die, he would die well and in honor. He would also know that his son Eleazar would take his place and continue the priesthood. He submits to God's judgment and goes to his death as easily as if he is going to bed. He does not grasp onto this life, but recognizes he has served his generation. Like David will. Acts 13.36 says, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the Gospel do we find in this chapter? Miriam and Aaron and all that generation died in the wilderness before they could enter the Promised Land, just as God had said. God always keeps his promises, even his promises to judge, so we know that everything Jesus said will happen as well. 
While Moses was greatly used by God, and had up to this point been an example of humility and obedience, he was not perfect, and forty years of frustration boiled over. His failure magnifies the greatness of the prophet to come, Jesus. God brought water from the rock. Paul says, They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from that spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So these two episodes of water from the rock all relate to the work of Christ on the cross. The first time Moses was to strike the rock, and this represented his death when he was smitten by God. Afterwards, he was not to strike the rock a second time, since his death was sufficient once for all. And Moses' rebellion to the clear command of God would have made us miss this symbolic type if not for God's seemingly harsh response. We had to see how seriously God took this violation in order to understand why Moses could not enter the promised land. Speaking to the rock signified prayer. How wrong it is for the Roman Catholics to re-sacrifice Christ every time they do the Mass. It is finished. All that's needed now is prayer to our rock. Neither Aaron, who represented the priesthood and works, and Moses, who represented the law, could enter the promised land. But Joshua is a representative of the Lord Jesus who saves his people and will bring them into their rest in the promised land. Just as the law could not inherit the promises, so Moses was unable to enter the promised land. The penalty God imposed on Moses may seem harsh, but his position of leadership increased his accountability, and the same is true for all preachers and teachers. Leadership is a burden, if not now when we want to do our best, then at the judgment when we must give an account of it to God. All the hardships in the wilderness were tests of loyalty and faith in God. The next generation repeated the same sin as their parents in the same place, even repeating the same accusations. They ignored the fact that for 40 long years they had lacked nothing. They had seen the power of God in miracles and the judgment of God against their sinful parents, and yet they failed to heed the warnings. We need to learn lessons from the mistakes of previous generations and not make them, because the scriptures were written for our instruction. The trials God brings into our lives serve the same purpose. No one would enter the promised land based on merit, for none deserved it, for all were rebellious and sinful, even the leaders. Likewise, we only obtain eternal life because of the mercy and grace of God, not because of anything we have done. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Numbers chapter 21. May God bless the study of his word.